0: Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like rte.ie forward slash Mooney. a very busy show ahead of us tonight is it ever not busy in studio with me Aina Nilana and our researcher Michelle Brown later we'll be joined by Terry Flanagan and at his home listening in waiting to take part Dr Richard Collins but just before we came on air I'm very worried Aina was coughing are you okay Aina are you okay I'll have to give
1: up the jeep woodburns <laughs>
0: oh my god, does anybody smoke them anymore?
1: I'm sure they don't have to see one in years
0: They're the ones without the. Uh, they had,
1: it came in a green box. They had they no filter. filter yeah. Oh, How much did you go buy them for a penny each? I
0: remember when I was a kid, my mother had friends and they smoked them and they always had really. Orange hands. Orange yeah. hands, the fingers you where they held them, you know. Oh my god, are you
1: okay? Have you got a cold or something? I have no idea whether I have a cold or not. Can I not cough in peace without everybody having to get <laughs> a Yeah, of course, degree? just
0: don't cough in this direction. Michelle Brown, our researcher. Michelle, you've been going through our communications again.
2: We have lots of emails coming in one from Edward about wasps he was checking his water tank in the attic and he came across um, a nest and he's seen many but never as big as this and Ian I gave you a look at that wasp nest
1: it was huge it really was it was up at the wall between one rafter and the other he mustn't have had a single aphid or green fly or black fly or anything horrible in this garden (laughs) all summer because wasps are carnivores Mm. and in order to have a nest that size there must have been about 40 or 50,000 wasps but of course they're all dead by now that's just Amshakacha all he's left is the wasps nest they all die away the queen old queen dies the new queen's gone off to hibernate and when she comes out in springtime now in the next month she'll build a new nest I've been in somebody's attic which was really good prime estate and they 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 wasn't stuck in like that they were kind of hanging from the ceiling like Mm. big lights and there was five of them in a row and this was like five years ago four years ago three (laughs) years ago two years ago and last year there wasn't a wasp to be seen anywhere and I thought it looked great so the fact that you have had a wasp's nest that size in your attic only means that your garden is absolutely great territory for them
0: But the wasps are not there
1: no, 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 they're gone. They're gone. All the wasps die off because they only live for six weeks. The Queen has died at the end of August. The last lot have died by the end of September, October, haven't gone round stinging everybody because they can't get the sugar at home that they all the rest of them are getting from the grubs. And they die off too. And the new Queen, of course, has long since abandoned ship way back in August, mated and gone to hibernate. And she'll reappear now when we get weather, sunshine, March and start a new one all over again. A tiny little thing like like a golf ball. A little tiny white paper thing the size of a golf ball. And in that she lay. Eight eggs and there'll be eight worker wasps and they'll do all the work and take it over and they'll build another bit and they'll build another bit. Like like somebody who has loads of money doing an extension <laughs> here and an extension there.
0: <laughs> Just I told, keeps expanding. I told, the,
1: I told somebody once their <laughs> house was like a wasp's nest. Meaning that they had a new moment along another extension built on. They were underwhelmed by my remarks, so you may imagine. But anyway, this one obviously was doing well and the nest is made of paper the paper is chewed up timber so there must have been a good source of timber that they could chew up and use as well hopefully it's not as rafters
3: Richard? There could have been anything up to 40,000 wasps in that nest I would never go near one I'd be afraid to do so Uh, it would be very dangerous but people come along trying to get rid of them with a paper bag and a knife and they slip the bag over the wasps nest and then cut it free and the wasps are all trapped inside I wouldn't do that oh my god can you think of it if you cocked that up you would be stung and probably stung to death anyway wasps are wonderful Derek we are on the side of the wasp
2: um, another email in for you Aina um, see attached is this a ladybird and what is protruding from her
1: well how do we know it's a girl just because it's a ladybird that doesn't mean it's a female it is a harlequin ladybird and a harlequin ladybird is like any other ladybird. These, these coloured bits are the front wings. And the front wings cover the body. And when they're going to fly, they open the front wings, take out the back wings, which are um, transparent, and fly with those. And sometimes they don't put them back on properly. So that's a bit of its body sticking out, its tail end. It didn't. <laughs> it's having a wardrobe malfunction. It hasn't put its wings back properly. That's all. These are invasive species. They eat... Aphids and things the way early ladybirds do, but they also eat the larvae of early ladybirds. Yeah. so and that's bad the problem, articles. isn't it? they are bad articles, and they're everywhere. They're really big. They have a groove along the bottom of their of their of these um coloured wings. So it, whether it has two spots or whether it has. 42 spots that groove along the bottom of the, the, the is the telltale tell, sign tell you what it is yeah and there's loads of them about and they seem to be around even in the winter time I mean they're supposed to be hibernating until spring but these, these ones from Japan seem to have different ideas about <laughs> how to spend the winter that's what it is a harlequin ladybird. squish
2: it and one here for Richard
3: Yes, Michelle.
2: Noel Ryan sent in footage of his pine martin that um, has been visiting his bin on a nightly basis. And Mm. um, he was curious to know who was opening up his bin, so he put up a webcam. But um, he's delighted to find out it was a pine martin. His dad was a ranger in the NPA... WS for 30 years and he spends a lot of his youth out with them but he's never in his 47 years encountered a pine martin.
0: Ah, we did a long time ago Richard do you remember?
3: Yes, and it is a very difficult animal to spot but they are quite amenable to living off us if they get suitable uh, protection and so forth so you can get pine martins to come to your bin or your bird table or whatever. Uh, It is one of the great success stories of Irish conservation really. They have come back of their own accord when I was a child I longed to see a pine martin, and there was a place uh, in County Clare near Quinn where they were and my father used to take me there and we would search for pine martins. but we were wasting our time because the pine martin is nocturnal it was years later when I put up mist nets at the early hours of the morning and was sitting around waiting for birds to go into them that pine martins would pop out and that was a wonderful experience they were gorgeous the, the crown quit the, the tree cat of antiquity in Ireland. A beautiful animal and it's great that they are back.
0: And we have a video, Michelle, and it's on the website.
2: That's right. We'll put it up on the website.
0: rte.ie forward slash mooney. Michelle will pop in again a little bit later on. But Michelle, you wouldn't mind giving up that seat if you would because I see outside Terence Flanagan. So, Terry, come on in if you would.
4: Terry, how are
0: you? I'm very good. I must tell this uh, story before we get into your report this week, Terry, because I met... Adrian Kennedy, Radio's Adrian Kennedy. You will know him from other radio stations in Ireland. I've known Adrian an awful long time. I bumped into him and the wife on Grafton Street a couple of weeks ago, and he told me the most extraordinary story of a frog which got caught in the rear tail light of his new car and he even showed me a picture and he showed me a video. And I thought, how did it get in there? A little bit like the mystery of the ship in the bottle. And I said, come on, it must have been in there. He said, no, it wasn't. And he had taken it off to a mechanic and everything and they couldn't figure out because the taillight is a sealed unit. How did the frog get in there? He said, I've already discussed this, but I thought, and I was going to contact you, that you might know the answer to it. I said, well, I don't. So now, Aina Nielani, you can help us with this. When do frogs go into hibernation?
1: Frogs go into hibernation when it gets cold. (laughs) Usually around... October, November, you know, when it when there's no snails and slugs and creepy crawlies and woodlights for them to eat in abundance. So it could be November. When did he buy his car? He,
0: that's exactly it. He bought yes. the car around September, October if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. So when he bought it, it wasn't there and then he discovered that it was there. Alright, so I'm wondering, could it have got? But still, how did it get in? I mean, it, the frog isn't David Copperfield? He's not a magician? And not a trickster? That's another question. Is it the great Houdini? But at any rate, Terry Flanagan took up the
4: mantle and Terry what have you got to report? Well what I'd say first of all Derek is this is probably the most unusual report that I've ever done in the 20 odd years that I've been working on the Money Goes Wild programme. Honest (laughs) to God I I couldn't believe it so I went out thinking oh yeah another typical report head off out here to North County Dublin met Adrian he showed me his car beautiful car Skoda and they're clear as day in the back lens you could see a frog an adult frog not a baby frog not this year's frog but certainly it looked to me like it was two or three years old and uh, he said to me that when he bought Ran a Temporaria Ran a Temporaria a frog so I'm it is the common frog says. Well no let's start at the beginning he bought the car And like Derek said, he took videos and he took photographs. And he showed me a photograph as well of the car when he bought it, as you do when you buy your new car. You like to have a picture of it. And you could see as clear as day, there was no frog Mm. in the lens. Absolutely not. And then he told me a number of months later, it was April the following year, he was walking up to his car and he saw something glinting in the sunlight from the back lens. And he got closer to it. He said, that looks like a frog. That can't be. So he walked up to the car Sure as God, there's a frog in the lens of the car. So he took photographs of it. So he had the original photographs where there was no frog in the lens. And he has these photographs where there is a frog in the lens. Last April. Yeah. So the question is, how did it get in there? The first thing we can say is it wasn't there when the car was built. So it must have got in when the car, after he bought the car. But how did it get in? And
1: is it still there?
4: Well, let's have a little listen, because I'm endeavour to, to see Adrian and to see his frog and to <laughs> chat to him.
5: Right, Terry, meet my lovely car. Why I'm introducing a wildlife man to a car is going to be obvious now in one second. Wait till you see this. This is the most bizarre thing you will ever see. I can't so wait to see it. So we're at the back it. of my car. Yeah. It's a, nearly a year old. Uh, it's a Skoda Superb. And if you come over here, Terry, yeah. have a look at that back lens on the car. And what yes. do you see inside that lens?
4: I can't believe it. It's an actual frog. It's a frog. And it's inside in the, the light, inside in the lens. Now, it's not
5: moving. I presume it's no, dead. No, it? it hasn't moved since I discovered it. Okay, um, tell, tell me the story of your so frog. I, bu- I bought this car new last March, so March 2023. I have a photograph of the car taken in April and there was no frog in the lens of the, of the car. Fast forward to November, I was up in County Monaghan in a hotel in County Monaghan. I walked towards my car, the sun was shining on the back of the car and I spotted this frog in the lens of uh, the car. Now, How is, he got there, a, you it, don't, this is the problem, nobody it, knows.
4: It's an adult frog, I can, I can certainly see that. Wow, you've, you've got plenty of airplanes too overhead. Yeah,
5: you do, <laughs>
4: but it's an adult frog. And when you saw it first, was it an adult frog?
5: Yes. Yeah. That's ex- what you see now in the in the lens. There is exactly what I discovered in November. Okay. Has it shriveled up or a little bit? Yeah, it has shriveled a little bit, but not too much. Not yeah. too much. It, it it isn't decomposing as quickly as I might have expected it to. Yeah. But no, he hasn't moved from that spot. So we were baffled by this. Um, I brought the car back to the dealership where we bought it. They took it apart. They took the lens off the back of the car. And it's a sealed unit. And they are baffled. They have no idea how you got in there. To the point that the only way I can actually get rid of the frog is to put a new lens on. Buy a new lens, essentially.
4: Okay, so it wasn't there in April, but it was there in November. November, yep. Now, if it's totally sealed, like you've said, and I've seen the video. we will put the video up on the website as well. There's no way an adult frog could get in there. No, no. This is the most bizarre, it's the most bizarre thing ever. Um, I'm thinking, how could something get in there? Frog spawn is much smaller, so would there be a possibility that frogs laid frog spawn there? But it was after April, which seems it's the wrong time of the year, so I can't really see it as being frog spawn either.
5: No, it's just, it's it's bizarre. But even frog spawn, I mean, it's a sealed unit, so how the frog spawn even got in there is a... Is a mystery, yeah.
4: And I wonder how long was he alive for?
5: I know, but I never saw him alive. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been in that position literally since then. He, he, and in fact, even when the guy took the lens off, he was moving it around, he never moved, so he's obviously wedged in there. And it, it certainly looks
4: like a real frog. We can't touch it, we don't know whether it's a, a plastic frog or anything. It looks like a real frog. The only way you could tell is by breaking that sealed unit,
5: yeah. And that's ultimately what we might uh end up doing. No, it's, it's not any damage to the car the car is still working the, the yeah. lights are still working but it's a bit
4: of a novelty it's a,
5: it's a novelty come out and it's, see my frog yeah it's the, it's the strangest thing so yeah. I'd love an answer as to how was it, even possible for a frog to get in there
4: yeah, I don't know it's a simple answer but I, I, I'll go and I'll make inquiries and we'll see if we can find out brilliant thanks Terry very good so Terry what happened next well before we go on to what happened next Dana, I have the photographs here I have a fo- nice photograph here uh and you can clearly see the frog in the back lens of the car. Have a look at that.
1: Well, I'm looking at a red lens, yes, and I can see a frog. How do I know it's not a piece cut out of the paper and stuck onto the glass? <laughs> After all, it's not moving. I mean, that only looks two dimensional to me in the picture. Well, did somebody painted on with a black magic marker or something. Well, sort? the
4: photographs are in two D, but the frog is in three D because I, I could look into the lens and I could see it, and quite clearly it is a frog. Now, I did have it's an, a
1: very peculiar looking frog. It has it's very stretched, skinny looking legs. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that might be because it's
4: hungry. It's starving. Is it alive or dead? Oh, it's dead. It's very much dead now.
1: Probably dead. Well, was it ever alive?
4: Well, it must have been alive, but he never saw (laughs) it alive and I never saw it alive.
1: Ah, well, nobody saw it alive.
4: No, well, why do you think it is?
1: Why do I think it's alive?
4: No, what do you think it is?
1: Well, I mean, it might look like a frog here, but are you sure it is in some class of a a crack? I mean, it never moved from that position. It's stuck there. It could be some... (laughs) crack in the glass or some sort of, I don't know, mm. it does look like a frog I have to say, it certainly does no, It's not a crack a a in the
0: glass No, it's not a crack no, in the okay. glass He brought it, it back ex- to the garage and asked them to have a look at it and there's a video of the guys it's shaking it about, Which we can
1: put on the it website it's well, on It the has, website, has yeah. exceedingly attenuated legs, it's black in colour and it's all stretched out. As the fella said, that's a queer one for you now
0: did you ever get anything like that yourself before? Well,
1: yeah, somebody sent me in a, a question there to the Irish Times recently about a fellow who had a car that he imported back in from South Africa. And there inside in the sealed unit of the light was a wasp, which he managed to get out because he took a picture of it on the ground. But of course, he photographed it upside down and he couldn't see what it was. And he wanted to know which wasp species it was. And it was a common wasp because it could have been a German wasp. but They don't have German wasps in South Africa, but they do have common wasps. So how that got in or out or whatever... We didn't know either but he didn't ask me that he only asked me what it was and like a good woman that I am <laughs> you <laughs> answered the question you're asked <laughs> I answered the
6: question
2: yeah, I was have. asked
4: Go on anyway Terence what happened next? Well I, I couldn't figure it out and I, again I'm looking at it here now on the phone and it's definitely a frog it's definitely in three dimensional so uh the big question is, how did it get in? There? You know, you keep saying that, but can but, you answer the question? I know I can't answer the question, but what I did do is, I got in touch with Robert Gondola of the Irish Herpetological Society, and I asked him his opinion, and he said oh, I'd really like to see it. So what I did was, I brought Robert back out to see Adrian to see what he figures out. Adrian, I'm back, and I've brought. Hopefully, an expert with me. This is Robert Gondola of the Irish Society.
6: He's a frog expert. Very good. Rob, have a look at that.
5: Meet my frog.
6: Yeah, so we have a mummified frog here. Now, is that Absolutely. an Irish frog? Gone by the size of it, it could definitely be maybe a two year old, probably not a yearling. It's a bit too big for that Irish frog. The toes look right if it was a tree frog or it was another one of these, some of these um, tree frogs that you'd get in continental Europe they'd have, still have like little discs on their fingers or you'd see indications that there'd been little um, broad discs on their fingers and that um, helps them stick to leaves and when they're climbing. There's no indication of, of it on this frog at all. Whatsoever. Now, look,
4: looking at him there, he seems to be well wedged in there in the bottom part of
6: that lens. Oh yeah, he's, he's completely jammed in and obviously there's, there's no air circulation or there's very little air circulation and, and there's no way... For degraders or anything to get in there, like he's—it's completely mummified, like it's desiccated. You can see, like the the muscles kind of shrunk around. You can see the spine now coming yeah. up through the back. You can still see all the digits, and he looks like he's been wedged in place here. And, and just even the shape of the light unit here—it's kind of broad at the top where the head is, and then it narrows as you come down to the body of the car. So, well, yeah. the sixty-four thousand-dollar question: How do you think it got in there? Well. Common sense would say it's obviously there's been a hole, but in order for that to happen, it means that he's either got injured in manufacturing. But he wasn't
5: there last April.
6: Yeah, for sure. So that means then he could have been in the body of the car, so under the padding and in where all your electrical wiring goes, but that still requires a hole for him to be able to get in.
4: Let's, let Adrian, open up there at the booth and we'll have a look in just to see. so Is there any possibility it could have gotten in there Unless somewhere?
5: he's got very big fingers and he can actually open this unit at the side. This is a, a kind of a little press at the side. And in here, up the top here, there's kind of holes. But that's all sealed. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just... It's the, the strangest part of this whole thing is the photograph that I have from last April where he's not there. And then the photograph from November where he is there. And not only is he there, so since last November, he hasn't moved an inch since then. He's literally... And that's after the light unit having been taken off by a Skoda engineer and shaken around and he still hasn't moved. So he's completely wedged there.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So so this is the thing. Like, If you go and you have a look online because it's a great place to look for similar occurrences. Nearly all the other frogs are in the clear part. Where the so clear there have been is.
4: other occasions where yeah, frogs have been caught. But they're lenses. nearly
6: all associated with where the bulb openings are. This frog is in a part of the light unit that's completely separate to the clear part where the bulbs are. Right. So, if we look at the lens, there's actually two parts to the lens. That's what you're saying. There's the yeah. the red part,
4: and then there's the white part. Yeah. And the two of them clip together. That's it. And the frog is in the red part
6: of the lens. Yeah, where the LED lights would sit in up the very top. Yeah. So now, the break. There's no, no.
4: Have a look in there. But I don't. I looked at it before. I can't see any opening whatsoever that you think.
6: There's, there's a couple of air openings, right? That potentially a frog could climb up. Like they are good climbers. Even even our own um, frogs can climb. But. Then it would have to climb up again and then get down the back onto the actual housing of the light box itself, the light unit. But how would it actually get into it? Because it's a totally sealed unit. I know, and I've just actually had a look in the wheel arch, so there's no way it could have just climbed in up under the mud flap or anything and and then tried to find like again looking for another small hole to get up into the actual in internal frame of the car and adrian you brought it to the skoda dealer and he took out
3: he
5: took took that whole unit out shook it around looked at it could see the video yeah could see no way of the frog getting in to the point that he said this one has me beaten this one has me beaten he does not know the only way i can get rid of that frog is to get a new lens a new life for the back of the car You won't be doing that. No, it's a couple of hundred quid, so (laughs) it's working perfectly. But the car's only a year old. It has been serviced, but it's had no bulbs replaced or has had no need to because it's a new car. So it's just a mystery.
6: Robert, if you were a betting man, how would you say that got in there? I was going to say that somebody may have broken the original light and had it replaced. And this frog came from the factory because they're all made in Czech Republic. Right. And they're sealed units So you, you can't just buy The bits that you don't want You have to buy A whole new unit Right And that it's been swapped out And replaced at some stage But Adrian's Adrian Adrian? Adrian, not Adrian
5: Not to my knowledge Not right. to the best of my knowledge No I mean it's been, it's been in for a service I doubt it happened there And my wife drives the car Every now and again I doubt she Smashed the light Went off Got a new one And put it back on again Without, without telling me said. so <laughs> No
6: Yeah it's kind so of it's something That would be uh, a bit obvious yeah. Wouldn't it Somebody <laughs> be acting sheepish Or a bit funny <laughs> yeah. So it's a mystery it absolutely is. Like, for all intents and purposes, when I first saw this, my brain instantly said, that has to be a different unit. has to be a completely different light unit to what's going in the car based on how they make new light units now because the LEDs are always separate from the bulbs and all that um, sort of carry on. So, I don't know. And now we're looking at these kind of situations, you know, where you're like, oh, wizard did it. Because, like, for the frog, it would have had to get... Fair enough, frogs find play way into to tight spaces and, and unusual spaces fairly regularly. That's grand but then it would have had to have had some sort of opening to let it in behind this red plastic into the light unit itself, and then that would have had to, like, click together to seal said hole for it to actually not be able to get out, and now it's wedged in place and completely mummified. There's an awful lot of ifs in there. Absolutely. Like, this thing is a total head-scratcher. It's brilliant. Like, I love it, and it's great, and it's it's going to be up there now with one of the few unexplained cases of frogs in weird places, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. Well, Adrian, it looks as if we're back to the drawing board.
5: Yeah, like we said, I've I've been on to Skoda. The the garage took the unit out. They're beaten by it.
6: If it was put in in the factory when they were making the car before you bought it, before it was exported, you would have seen it. Like, it's too big not to see.
5: Yeah, he's definitely not there in April. In the photograph I have from April last year, he's definitely not there.
6: Yeah, and like even the light unit itself, it's not spacious, if you get me. It's not roomy on the inside (laughs) for something to be hanging out and for something to be trapped. Yeah, I don't know. Poor this thing
5: regrets the day he ever climbed in there because oh, he's yeah. not coming back out. Well it
6: does <laughs> or well, now it's a celebrity, isn't it?
2: That sweet little
0: mystery try try try. Oh I can't sing but what of it? It's still a mystery and a good mystery as I said earlier. Like how did the ship get into the bottle? Anyway, Richard Collins, you don't believe a word of this. You're very skeptical.
3: Yes, uh, it's wise to be sceptical. I have found throughout my life that most of the things I believed have turned out to be false. And no doubt the things I believe now will turn out to be false in a few years. Now, mysteries like this exist, and it reminds me of another famous case. Ernest Hemingway, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, a most beautiful story, a wonderful story, beautifully written. And at the preface of that, uh, there's a little vignette, and it says that close to the summit of Kilimanjaro lies the frozen carcass of a leopard. And then he says, nobody can explain what a leopard was doing at that time altitude. Now that is a great mystery. Nobody's going to drag the carcass (laughs) of a leopard up 19,000 feet. Well how did it get there? How did it get there? Well it's like the frog in the car unit. You know it's a very similar thing. There are these kind of mysteries everywhere and the mysteries make life interesting don't they? They are the exception to our great theories. Absolutely. Well if you can (laughs) shed any light on this you can email mooney at
0: rte.ie Now Richard you're a big fan of Brent Geese.
3: Devoted to them, yes, absolutely devoted to them. Now, people who are not living along the coast may not be familiar with this bird because it's a coastal bird. Now, it's a very good goose to look at because it's very tame. Most geese will disappear the moment you show up on the horizon. The grey legs, or the white fronts, or the pink feet, they are nervous and they go. But the Brent sticks around. He allows you to come in, say, Dublin in the estuaries around in the East Coast, you can get down to about 10 metres from them and they don't take much notice of you. That's because where they breed, there are no people. It's on the in deserted islands of the Canadian Arctic, 6,000 kilometres away. They're not molested or hunted up there. So when they come here, they have learned to trust us. They're not suspicious of us. Remember, the word... Brent is actually derived from Brunnen, or burned, an old proto-Germanic word meaning burned. And indeed they look like a log, a charred log that's been in a fire all night. With grey, white and black. Mm. They have that kind of appearance. Now they form flocks and in those flocks they are not alone. The birds are not alone. They are in little family groups, in family that They are birds that value education. When they leave the Canadian Arctic, they take their babies with them. They form into flocks, but they bring them with them all the way, fly down through Canada, cross over to Greenland, fly on to Iceland, from Iceland on to Strangford Lock. It is a huge journey, and they teach the youngsters that, and the youngsters stay with them through the winter and go back with them for a revision, a revision course and that's very important education is power and they give their youngsters that education of where to go in autumn and how to get back in the spring anyway they stay late because they've got to go so far but they, in March now they will be fattened up and some of them will go in March and the rest of them will go in April now there's one thought about this when I started, when I came to Dublin the first 50 odd years ago to Mellahide. Uh, Brent geese were, uh, were, people were worried about the Brent geese. There's about 6,000, if I recollect, around the Irish coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were thought to be uh, declining. They were vulnerable. And uh, in Malahide, we had a couple of hundred at times. Major Rutledge, the famous ornithologist, was studying them. And I used to help him going around reading collars and their neck collars to know who was where. But now... There are, I believe, something like 30,000 here. So, although lots of other birds which were considered safe have declined enormously, and you hardly ever see them now, the Brent oddly enough, have thrived. And it's great to see it.
0: It is. It seems to be doing very well indeed, this bird. And we know these numbers thanks to people like Eric Dempsey, our man who counts birds. In fact, I caught up with him at Irish Town Stadium during the week when he was doing just that, counting the Brent geese before they leave on their long migration northwards.
7: So, this is one of the locations that I come to on a regular basis Irish Town Stadium in Rings End. It's a beautiful facility for the local people to have this right on their doorstep. But of course, I'm not here to run around the track and lose a bit of weight, although I could do it doing that. <laughs> um, I'm, of course, looking at the Brent geese, and uh, this is one of the, the favourite areas in. Um, you know, this part of Dublin where the Brent geese are feeding here and Sean Moore Park, which is just across the road, the GIA pitches here. And at this time of the year, the the geese are busy feeding. You know, they've they've spent the winter, uh, the Brent geese have spent the winter in and around all the different areas around Dublin. But they're very actively feeding now because March is the time when they really do need to put on weight. And these birds need to feed up to put on weight for their Atlantic crossing back to the breeding grounds, and they will be leaving Ireland probably towards the end of March, beginning of April, depending, of course, on the uh, the weather. And so the birds are very actively feeding at the moment. And when the Brent geese arrive, and we've talked about this before, Derek, when mm-hmm. the Brent geese arrive, uh, they, they eat the eel grass along the coast, and they will start moving onto the football pitches. So it's like fast food for them. Um, they, they, if they arrive, and it's very interesting this year because you can tell young birds, young birds have like pale coverts, like pale bars on their back. And this winter, the birds have brought back big numbers of young birds. Every pair of adults seem to have two or three, sometimes even four young tagging on. So, what the geese are doing is they're bringing the young birds around to all the best pitches (laughs) and the young birds are learning where to go. You think
0: they'd keep it for themselves?
7: Well, they they are really looking after their young. They're instructing their young. And it is their young. It is their young. So you're talking about families flying those flocks? Yes, within. Because you'll see they have, they stick together. The young birds stay with the adults right through the whole winter and they're learning the ropes. Now, last winter there was hardly any young birds And it meant that there was enough food for the adults to stay on the coast into January. So the big numbers didn't start moving onto the football pitches until, you know, January, late January, mid-January. Whereas this year, from November onwards, the birds were moving onto the pitches. So all of these flocks arrived. Instead of just two adults, like there was the previous winter, there's two adults and maybe three, four young. So there's a group of six. And multiply that by, you know, a thousand pairs and then suddenly you have big huge numbers so the birds have been moving onto the pitches constantly since probably mid-November onwards and you think it's a good year for Brentkeys? it's been a great year um, for Brentkeys. just looking at t- firstly the numbers of birds but we would then check to see how many young birds there are within the flock and almost every adult has young birds with them and who are you counting them for? I'm doing a survey looking at what football pitches all of these Brent geese are are feeding on. So we're building up a picture of where the Brent geese are feeding, what they're doing, where they're going, and a lot of them will have these colour rings on them, Davric rings they're called, and it's a colour combination with with a letter or a number. So you might have yellow on the left, a yellow ring, with the letter Y and a green on the right, letter 6 or number 6, And then you might encounter that guy at rings end, but I also might encounter him over in Ballyfermot. So we now know where the birds are moving to. And I know from looking at some of the colour rings at these birds, I think there's a distinct north side bunch and a south side bunch. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, I do, I do. That's insecurity. (laughs) No, no, no. But when you think about it, if you're a young bird... Right, you know. and, and you've been brought to these pitches by by the adults. They're the pitches you, you tend to use, mm. and you know those no, adults. Enough, know, those yeah, adults yeah. may well have been shown those yeah. pitches by their adults. Well, so I meet Richard every Tuesday morning. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. And we meet. We walk around Fairview Park, and then I drop them up near Tongleegy Road. Yes, and you see huge oh. numbers. Spring there Springdale is a parkland there. Yes, there.
7: Springdale there is. It's Springdale. As, is. Yes, that's right. Um, there's football pitches there. And, uh, like, you can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds And it's lovely of to see.
0: That. And they're not alone. Yeah. They're accompanied by a lot of uh, oyster catchers. Oyster catchers, curlews. And, and, and I was going to say red shank and green shank. Yeah. You see a lot yeah. of birds yeah. there, a lot yeah. of waders. Yeah, there's
7: a lot of waders there. And bar-tailed god- or black-tailed godwits as well. So, so they've so,
0: all gotten onto this idea that there's food inland.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you can imagine that, like, if, if you're an oyster catcher or a curlew or a black godwit, you're probing. You well be probing in in, in soft grass, yeah. muddy grass, and catching earthworms. Never have to get your feet wet. You don't have to get your feet wet. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know it's 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 an interesting thing that you can get big numbers of, uh, particularly during stormy weather on the coast. You get big numbers of waders moving onto the football pitches. Mm. So there's this fascinating, you know dependency on football pitches uh, around... Aren't we lucky to have them? Isn't it brilliant? And, you know, you go through a little green in the middle of a housing estate and there's 400 geese there and, like, you know, people just don't bat an eyelid now. I mean, we're the only capital city in Europe that has truly wild flying geese. You can go to London and there's Canada geese but they're, they're all feral. You know, we have birds that breed up in northern Canada, fly across the Atlantic... And they're walking around football pitches and, and little greens in the middle and of the Sunday house. It's, and absolutely. And it's It's, and Kulak. it's something, I love, it. I love
0: it. I love seeing them, I have yeah. to say. Now, what strikes me about where we are now, so we're outside Irish Town Stadium. Yes. And once you go through and onto the stadium, you've got the running track. Yes. And then you've got the green in the middle. Yes, right. So are they feeding on they're the feeding green? They're feeding on the green. Yeah. OK, so we can imagine what a running track looks yeah. like, ladies and gentlemen. It's yes. The green yes. bit is where the geese are feeding. And then outside the perimeter of the running track, you've got Ringsend Park, yes. which is a fantastic facility for everybody in the area. Now, there is green grass, you've got Gaelic yeah. pitches, you've got football pitches, you've got a playground, you've got seated areas where people can just sit and relax. But you've also got AstroTurf. Yes. Now, it's a different kind of green. We know it's an
7: artificial
0: playing field. Do they ever make the mistake on going to the AstroTurf, is what I'm wondering? Because there's more and more of it in Dublin now.
7: It is, and it's it's possibly a problem in some areas but you know i always say look birds aren't thick okay <laughs> sorry you know they're, they're going to land there and they'll realize very quickly that this isn't this isn't you know grass they're not going to start eating plastic you know they're they you know give them credit i always say but when you have like a whole load of astroturf going in it's a sort of one site that's lost to them right so i would always encourage those say you know football pitches that are thinking of astroturf, not to, to completely lay astroturf. Leave sections that are grass for for your football pitch, and if you are putting in astroturf, that's fine. Put in a small section, but maybe check to see if you can, or if you're inclined, to check to see which which section of the football pitches are the favoured areas for the, for the geese, because they do have favoured areas.
0: <laughs> Look a bit odd. Only one yeah, yeah. third of the pitch was yeah. astroturf and the rest was grass. Yeah, but like, have
7: one pitch that's astroturf and even another oh, pitch that's grass. Okay, yeah. because but that is
0: the case here in Ring's End. It's yeah. not
7: all astroturf. No, that's the point. And they will feed on the grass. They're not, not stupid. But like I, I've, I was doing a survey recently for somebody and um, <laughs> I, I did what... <laughs> sounds mad. A, a, a goose dropping. the dropping so that they, they, they're constantly, you know, do, all the time they eat and they poo. Um, so you do a count of droppings. So you walk down the middle of, of, say, a football pitch or two or three or four football pitches that are in a line and you count what the number of droppings you see either side of, of where you're walking. So you might walk, say, uh, one pitch and you'll, you'll find that there's a 1,000 droppings on that pitch. And then the next one is 600. And then the next one, there might be only 100 droppings you can find. And then the next one, none. Mm. So that will tell you where the geese are concentrating and on which is their favorite areas. And it's a very interesting exercise to do. Uh, of course, you do get, you know, people looking at you like this wit walking down the middle of the pitch counting goose droppings, but it gives you great insight as to where the birds are. And, you know, doing a simple exercise that, like that, if you have like four or five football pitches, you're going to put one into AstroTurf. You know, even an exercise like that will give you an indication of which area are the, the geese most comfortable in because it it may not just be grass it might well be that this is the area for from the the, the paths mm. where maybe dogs are mm. it might be the most sheltered areas things like that so you get a great insight as to what the what the geese are doing and what they like about it
0: food for thought
7: in more ways than one food for thought <laughs> and lots of droppings as <laughs> well as well
0: anyway Eric, thank you very much no. when will they be gone
7: they Just should be. Everybody. They should be here till the end of March, into the beginning of April. It will all depend on weather. Really, yeah. the weather is the key, and they really do need to put on weight because for an Atlantic flight, you need to have you you need to have your body weight so you can live off your fat reserves. It's a bit like an airplane. You know, you can you can't fly to, to the states on a half empty tank of fuel. So you need to need to pack on that fuel to get you across. The other interesting thing is that the quality of the food on on football pitches is not as good as the natural eel grass that they have, so they tend to need to stay a little longer than previously, because the diet isn't as good. It's a bit right. like uh, a bit like eating McDonald's constantly uh, rather than eating a, a proper balanced diet. So they need to actually stay a little bit longer uh, to to put on the body weight each each spring.
0: Other fast food outlets are available. Other fast. All right, Eric, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Great guy is Eric, I have to say. Now, more details, as always, on our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. And do, if you live along the East Coast particularly, get a chance to see those Brentkies before they head off. Now, as we are out and about around the country every week, we never cease to be amazed by the, let's say, the imagination and innovation of schools as they strive to bring nature back into the lives of children. Parents are playing a key role in this, as Michelle Brown found out recently when she visited Grails na in Churchtown in Dublin.
8: Fort your oath Michelle, my name is Ashling. I'm the principal here in GrailskuldnaFchoiga in Churchtown in South County Dublin. and you're here at our school garden. Where does the school get its name? The school was founded eight years ago and myself and a group of parents came together and we had a few suggestions, different suggestions for names and the one that was chosen was Grailsgann of Fwyntseoiga. is the Irish for the ash tree, which is a native tree of ours, from which we get our hurls. And hurling is a huge sport and a huge part of our culture in our school here. So that was the name that was chosen and we have planted Fwyntseoiga here on, in the garden. Are there
2: many native Irish trees?
8: Yeah, I think we have a sample of most. We have birch Oak, elder. Actually, we have an awful lot of uh, native Irish trees here. You see the wall behind us is a sample of a lot of the native trees. Emmet Ryan on Shaw is Tishmahor, Shaw Scalé. He has looked after the whole project from the garden from day one, Emmet. So he would know a little bit more about the native trees that we have here. You're a garden
2: designer, are you?
9: I'm a garden designer, yeah, and a parent in the school. About four years ago, the start of the first lockdown, That was when we took the digger in and kind of put a bit of a shape on it and then there was a good bit of work done like this native hedge was put in and then there was a drought. It didn't rain for three months so there was a couple of parents came down every day and and watered the whole hedge so it would settle in and there were trees taken from local building sites that were kind of craned into the garden just to save them. So there's a few sort of the trees with a lot of character around here but that's why because they're rescue trees. So they had to be watered quite consistently for the first three months as well because they were mature. so but it's generally all been the parents that have kind of lifted it off the ground or out of the ground so
8: 100% and it was as Emmett said during lockdown schools were putting in outdoor classrooms and you see we have an outdoor classroom here. it's a sunken classroom with the hedge around it very natural and it's used quite a bit even still now but it is the parents who came in and did all of this.
2: And what do you see as the benefit of having all these
8: native trees around for the children? Well we all talk about STEM, this is the most important part of science for a child in primary school. I think it's where the foundations of what they learn about the life cycle, about our heritage, about our trees, about the environment and how important it is that we cherish what we what is native to us here. We're a grail school. it's part of our identity and uh, we want to continue that in the garden.
9: Especially, you know, with everything about uh, climate change and, and it's great for kids to know that as a simple thing that you can do is just plant trees. This so. is how
8: they learn. Children yep. learn by doing they don't learn by coloring in pages on a workbook but they learn as you can see from these two out here thoroughly enjoying it uh, dawn and tom here beside us they have learned as the garden has formed and as the, the, the plants are growing and they see the bulbs coming up every year so it's it's learning as it should be
3: okay cat is on Thomas dot chome sanamdom tomay hinjep len augusto
2: what do you like about the garden out here?
3: I like the frogs I like the way that they, we have loads of native trees And it's a place that you can just relax
2: And have you ever had a classroom outside here?
3: Um, once or twice Yeah.
2: And is that once fun? Or twice. Yeah. yeah And what do you like about the frogs?
3: I like animals
2: Tell me what happened the other day
0: So they were in kind of like a box and we got them in our hands and put them into the pond.
2: And what did that feel like?
0: Slimy, kind of.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are you expecting that there would be frog spawn?
3: Yeah. Um, They crack out their eggs and they
0: become tadpoles and then they get legs and lose their tails and then they
2: become frogs. Anything else you like about the garden?
3: Um, I like all the animals, the bugs, the butterflies, the worms, and all the birds that come sometimes.
8: We've had Heritage Ireland in the garden going around and the person who came out did a bug trail, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And he said he was amazed at the number of bugs that he wouldn't see in other gardens. They were all going around with bugs and their hands and discovering different things. But it was fabulous just to see them rooting around. And tell me, what is the concept of the garden?
9: So at the very top of the garden, there's a a mock well that collects the water from the roof of the school and then it flows under the ground and comes into this pond at the bottom of the garden. We're very lucky that it's on a slope because it allows you to do that without bringing in pumps and things like that. So you're just using gravity. So yeah, it's kind of like a basic study of the water cycle. Rain coming down into a lake, basically.
8: And then who brought in the frogs one of the teachers and the staff here, Aegon is the one who is the frog expert in the school and he gets most pleasure, I think, from our pond.
10: I think maybe I get more pleasure out of the frogs than the kids do. But, uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're, it's brilliant having them there and you can show the kids, like Ash was saying, colouring in pictures of a life cycle is nothing compared to coming out, looking at the jelly at the start and then looking at them change shape and turning into tadpoles and then into frogs
2: do you need a license for that
10: every school is licensed to take frog's pond for educational purposes i don't think private citizens are just allowed to go around taking it
2: you you come in sort of on your own time on the weekends do you into work
10: yeah i do yeah and I, I i have my own kids as well in the school so they they love looking in the pond and and we threw some fish into the well up there that takes the water off the roof as well they actually, I think they went down really well with the ASD unit as well. They love coming out feeding the fish. So all in all, like it's it's just it's a holistic learning experience for the kids.
8: It's a resource that I. I think it's immeasurable, the amount that the children gain from it. People talk about back in the day when we were out on farms and running around the place and living a a freer life. But now we hope that in the school we can give that to the children, that they can have that discovery here. So even in an urban setup, children
2: can have this joy of nature.
8: Absolutely. I mean, everything is here for them. They don't have to be on a farm. They are here. They can see the pond. They can see the frogs, the fish. They see the seasons happening in front of their eyes. So as Aegon said, it's all very fine having a picture in the classroom, but when you can actually come out at each season and say, oh, we see the buds, they're alive here, they're here, we see the leaves falling from the trees. Even Emmet was saying there about the water cycle and the gravity, that we don't need the pump, that learning will stay with them forever because they've seen it, they've seen gravity in action. They know that the water is coming from the roof of the school to feed the well, to feed the pond. We have a swamp area as well, you can't see it now, but there's an awful lot going on in the garden that's natural and uh, representative of, of the environment for the children.
9: We'll be reinstating the bog garden where we had like flag irises and marsh marigolds and uh, sweet and stuff like load of native bog mm. plants. So that had to be dug out, but we saved all the plants and we'll be putting them back in to the bog garden now. So...
2: So um, would you ask your teacher to bring you out a little bit more? Yes,
3: I would, actually. (laughs) Me too.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much indeed, Michelle. And do please get in touch and let us know what you are doing in your school with the Children for Nature. And who knows, we might visit you soon. Okay, Aina, just before we wrap up, you want to tell us all about National Tree Week, which kicks off next Sunday, the 3rd of March.
1: I do indeed, Derek. National Tree Week as you know always happens in March and this year it's starting next Sunday the 3rd of March Mm -hmm. and we're launching it below in Abbey Leaks in County Leash. They were the winner of the Tidy Towns last year so they're all set to receive this auspicious occasion and they're going to be planting a ceremonial tree and have all sorts of you know, visits to forests. Leaks is a great town and they've done a lot of stuff there for nature and wildlife. So they're being bestowed with the honor of having their. National Tree Day launch there at to on Sunday. Another. And will you be but there yourself? I will, of course. How would it happen without my being Yeah. Present? So
0: where exactly is it going to take place in Abbey Leaks?
1: Oh, in the Heritage Centre there. They have a lovely Heritage Centre there. Where so
0: next Sunday.
1: The Sunday coming, the 3rd of March. 3rd of March. Yeah, yeah, yeah at, at, at half
0: two. Half two. And anybody can go along.
1: Anyone can go along. It'll be crowded city.
0: now that you've mentioned it. Oh, but isn't
1: that great? We want people to go out and enjoy trees. This is what National Tree Week is all about. We've had it going in the Tree Council of Ireland for the last... Oh, for the last 32 years, Culture are our sponsor this year. And there are events all around the country where people are planting up to 15,000 trees that have been given to us by Culture, being distributed by the local authorities. And there are people having local events in their areas, planting the trees, because everybody realises the importance of trees. I mean, the theme this year is planting trees for a greener future. And I mean, it's the only way we'll get our carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Their biodiversity begins with trees. Walking around among trees gives people a lift to their mental health. What's not to like about them? And it's just the end of the planting season. It's still cold enough you can plant bare-rooted trees. And every year at this time we celebrate National Tree Week and we're celebrating it again this coming Sunday and the whole week after So if
0: people are going to be planting trees next week, is it a good time of year to plant trees?
1: Well, of course it is. You plant trees in the wintertime, bare rooted, because they're not growing. So once it gets cold enough and they're not growing anymore and they haven't got their leaves, you can be planting trees then from November, December all the way until the spring comes again. So this is kind of, you know, the end of the winter season. Spring is in the air very much so. So you want to get your, you want to get your trees into the ground before the, course, the sap rises and young men's thoughts turn to love and all of that want to get the trees in. So it's a good time of year to plant your bare-rooted trees. Mind you, if you buy a tree in a pot with a ball mm. around its roots, you can plant that at any time of the year. But the thing is to plant the trees and look after them. I mean, sticking them in the ground and going away is only half the job. You have to make sure then that they're maintained, that there's no weeds around them vying with them for nutrients and that if there's droughts and things that you water them with a good bucket of water, None of these little defeat jobs with a watering can, give it a good lash. Otherwise the roots will try to get up to where the water is in the top Players and go crooked so lash in the water if you're watering trees during a dry spell and they'll grow very well native trees are the ones we generally plant because they're the ones that have the most biodiversity they're the ones that are, are native to Ireland they're the ones that are the most suited and if you can get trees tree seeds that are local as opposed to getting in foreign blackthorn from France like they put along all our motorways if you go along the motorways at the moment Eric end of February you notice that the blackthorn is in flower Mm -hmm. which is mad because if you look in the field it's not in flower at all and the flowers in the blackthorn in our fields don't come out until the end of March but the blackthorn along the motorways is in flower now because they bought them from the south of France when they were putting in those motorways they thought they were doing the devil and all putting in blackthorn because blackthorn is a native species but what's the point in having the things in flower now in the end of February when there's no insects? It's too cold for things to be pollinated.
0: Oh, well, them. it's done now, ain't it? You know, and it's well, not a bad the, that's,
1: thing. That's the explanation. But part. I have a friend of mine that's from the, the Philippines who told
0: me that every road is like driving through an industrial estate. Because I was asking him as we were driving, every road
1: along. where here <coughs> in, the Philippines?
0: No, in the Philippines, because we landscape our motorways here, and they do look very pretty at certain times of the year.
1: We do landscape them because that's part of the deal to have the sides of the motorway as a habitat and they're really good for small little creatures like like mice and things like that and then you get all your kestrels hovering on on the sides of them. Not as many
0: as I used to on the way to Cork I have to admit.
1: Well, nonetheless, though, it is a habitat that we have actively encouraged by planting trees and by planting native trees, essentially, and it works.
0: It does work. Anyway, National Tree Week kicks off next Sunday, the 3rd of March. More details on our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. That's where you go for a rundown of everything that appears in the programme and a very extensive archive too. So, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. That's all we have time for tonight. My thanks to Ayn and Ilana, Richard Collins and Terry Flanagan. Our broadcast coordinator is Daniel Keating, and our researcher is Michelle Brown. Visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward
6: slash mini. I said it again. Until next week, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.